Thanks for joining us for the 100th episode of the Movements Podcast. I'm Steve Addison. We began 10 years ago in November 2005, and we're still going strong. the occasion. It's a great honor to have a movement pioneer with us by the name of Jeff Sundell. We'll hear Jeff cast vision to a group of city leaders for no place left. And along the way, we'll learn something of what God has done in an unfolding movement of disciples and churches across the United States. Well, hey, it's, it's great to be with y'all. Um, Jeff Sundell, Booger Holler, North Carolina, a one wife, three kids. Um, it's, uh, you know, um, I, I went to South Asia. First of all, let me just say this. I ran, I run a business. My dad was an entrepreneur, so I ran a business for about 16 years. And I got to do one of the coolest business in the world. I bought and sold muscle cars and drove race cars. And that's what I, that was my passion. And so in when I, high school, man, I was doing it in high school. And, and just flow to passion just turned into a job and uh, or a business loved it my mom and dad my brother still doing it to this day we wanted to honor christ in our business and so we wanted to be a witness in our business as we did it and so we were real intentional gospeling sharing using our business Uh, we worked those 40 60 70 hours a week in business so we could spend 30 40 hours a week involved in ministry in our community and god blessed it and we had a great time it was amazing um, but then that God just sort of, I was one of those people when I came to Christ in 1986, I just, I, I knew clearly I wasn't going to be a pastor type because when I go to the hospital, um, I get sick, you know, it's just, I'm just, I, I want to vomit. Anyhow, I don't like it. It stinks. It smells. So then you're feeling bad. I'm feeling bad. I didn't help anybody. So I knew I wasn't going to be the pastor type, um, but I knew that God wanted me to do something. I just didn't know what it was. And then finally, about 1996, after I came to Christ in 86, I felt this sense of, man, I've got to go do it. And so God just began to just said, man, I want you to go overseas and be a missionary. My wife was already going, we're not going to Africa. We're not going to here. You know, and she's you know, all the things that she thought of. She's like, well, anyhow, I... God took us as we went to Asia with a dream that God would do something so amazing that we wouldn't be able to think about it or dream about it. And so when we went, and we went to a place with 1.2 billion people, we knew that there was no way that we could do it. The only way to do this, well, first of all, God had to do something amazing, something that only God could do. The other thing is we knew we had to rely on the people. We could not rely on our money. We could not rely on all of our education. We couldn't rely on even bringing enough American missionaries to reach a place like South Asia with 1.2 billion people. We knew that God had to raise up an army of disciples. And so that just became part of our DNA is we knew that we wanted folks to obey the Great Commission. You know, and when we think about the Great Commission, um, we, can, we can give sometimes we... We give a little too much lip service to it, and we say, yeah, I want to go make disciples. And we, we stamp everything we're doing as making disciples. But if we really think about what does it mean to obey the Great Commission, well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go. 
All right, so, so the first action is go. And so I need to be going. And now what am I going to do when I go? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to make disciples. And, you know, when you think about make disciples, now I, I ran a business where we built muscle cars. And I never, I, I would have loved to just walk down one day and that 70 Chevelle that's sitting there, rust bucket, was just boom, you know, brand new, you know, totally restored car. It never had it in that way. We had to get down and work on it and cut and weld and, you know, and do all that kind of work and buy parts, invest money, invest time. And six, eight, nine months later, all my work, all my investment, then, then I had something because we, we made it. And, and when I want you to think about, when we say make disciples, um, it's not just boom. Make disciples means work. And so one of the things we realized is we had to work to make disciples. And that making means we're building a disciple. We're building a disciple who can disciple others, who's building a disciple who can disciple others. And our end goal was we knew if we're going to reach South Asia, we need a lot of streams of disciples. One of the things we learned over the years of multiplying disciples is we just sort of began to see at about fourth generation there was something where it sort of it was beyond our control anymore. First generation, I could sort of control, I could manipulate, I could do things. But when we started seeing second generation, that's well, a little more out of control. We get into fourth generation, man, I'm, that's my great-great-grandchild. And I'm, my relationship is my child and my grandchild. And so I needed to have a good, healthy relationship if I want healthy great-grandchildren. And so, again, we're talking about 1.2 billion people. We're talking, I, there's, I, could, I, I could know Bill Gates. I still wouldn't have enough money to plant enough churches to reach South Asia. I need people. You know, I've got to invest in people. So, long and short of it, I can remember some of y'all met Lee Puck and uh, Nathan and Jared Houck, some guys that I worked with in South Asia. I remember the first few people coming to Christ. I remember the first church being planted. And then I remember hearing, you know, the next 72 believers coming to, coming to Christ. The next six churches planted. Then the next... Now, when we were doing it, it really didn't seem fast. It seemed like hard work. It seemed really slow. But we kept pressing forward. Well, we began to see multiplication of disciples, multiplication of churches. And God, really, 10 years later when I came back, I got, I got to see Habakkuk 2.14. I got to see God do something that just totally blew my mind. So when we left, we had a couple thousand churches um, that a whole team had worked with. We'd seen about 80,000 people come to Christ. Praise the Lord, man. It was awesome. But we were in a... State with 30 million people, 100,000 baptisms wasn't a drop in the bucket for reaching the lostness of 30 million people. And I go the next state over and there's 89 million people. And I go the next state and there's 30 million people. And I go to the whole thing and there's 1.2 billion people. So, yes, praise the Lord, God did something amazing there, but it wasn't enough. Well, the great thing is that movement has continued to go. And I, I know Brian just got back from South Asia. And just recently they reported that there's, and I don't want to blow your mind with the numbers, but it's exciting what God's doing because I remember the first one. And now they're reporting they think there's possibly 19,000 churches, 1.2 to 1.5 million baptisms. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. 
It's still not enough to impact the lostness of South Asia. We want to celebrate the ones that have been rescued and pulled into the boat. But we never want to forget about the ones that are out there outside the boat. And there's still billions of people outside the boat. So God's doing something amazing. We've been seeing amazing movements around the world. Five years ago, we came back, and I'd love to tell you I was a brilliant strategist, and I came back to America to implement T4T. I came back because my son met Tim Tebow, and he wanted to be a high school quarterback after playing with Tim Tebow for a week. And so we, you know, so, you know, dad played football, so, you know, you want son to play football. So we made this really strategic spiritual decision to come home so my son could play football. There was a little more involved to it than that. But my son got to play football. Um, got to be a quarterback, got to see cool things. But I was sitting in church and I was like, I said, I'm going to be a good Baptist for the next five years. I'm just going to be a good Baptist, mind my business. And I'm going to go back and be a missionary five years from now. About three weeks into it, I was like, I can't do it. They're, they're perishing outside the boat and we're inviting them into the boat and they're not coming. And then I heard the statistic that 60% of Americans consider themselves uninvitable to church. So, and I thought, well, that's interesting. And people would say, when I'd speak, they'd say, well, 95% or 99% of all the people you invite to church will come to church. I said, dude, that might have been 40 years ago, but that ain't where I live no more. You know, I live in Booger Holler, and they don't come to church anymore either, you know? So, and Barna just recently said 38% of your friends, good friends, if you invite them to church, would come to church. Well, what's left over? 60. Well, I know as far as in Atlanta or where I live, the 38% that go to church will hear a clear gospel presentation potentially in our churches. We have good Bible-believing, strong churches that preach the gospel. So the 38%, there's hope. But what do we do about the 60% that aren't going to come to the boat? They're not going to come to the container. What do we do with them? Do we, do we, can we just have deniable culpability and walk away and say, we know that's not my problem. Or do we need to obey the Great Commission that says what? Go make disciples. So they won't come, so who, what do we need to do? We have to go. And listen, the more I've traveled around the U.S., the more I've done this, I'm convinced the 60% is right on. And you go to some places, and it's more like 80 90%. You go to Seattle, you go to Oregon, uh, it's not 60%, it's 80-90%. You go to L.A., you go to certain segments in Atlanta, it's 80-90%. There's certain segments in Atlanta that are 100%. What are we going to do about them? What do we do about them? So go make disciples. Then he says, go make disciples. Now who do we go to? The nations, right? Now the nations, we know that that really means the mother tongue. Or we, we would say the ta ethne. That, that means every single tongue in Atlanta has the right to hear from somebody's mouth to their ear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Minimum. Well, I don't know how many mother tongues you have in Atlanta, but I know in Charlotte we have 216. Y'all are a little bigger than Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, 216 mother tongues in Charlotte, North Carolina means we have easily three, four, five hundred people groups in Charlotte, North Carolina. Every one of them deserves the right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. People die to go to some of the countries these men and women go to to preach the gospel who are now here in a place where we can freely preach the gospel. 
So we have this incredible opportunity to go to them and make disciples. And by this way, when I say make disciples, we're trying to re... We're really... I'm, I'm from the Baptist background, so Baptists are really good at the evangelism side. We used to be. I'm not so sure we are anymore. The Presbyterian, my Presbyterian friends, we're really good. You know, you, you catch them, we'll skin them. You know, so really good on the discipleship side. You know, we make a great team. But the, the problem is Jesus never separated the two. He never separated evangelism and discipleship. That was always the ebb and flow of his life. Is evangelism led into discipleship? Discipleship led into evangelism. He all he never he never disconnected to. I understand theologically they're different, but we in the U.S. have to reconnect evangelism and discipleship. If we do not, I I don't see a lot of hope for the church in the future if we don't reconnect those two things. We have got to go from evangelism to discipleship. It's got to become the norm. All right, so we're going to go make disciples. We're going to go to all nations, every single tribe, every single segment of society here in Atlanta has the right to hear the gospel. To the point in time, there's no place left. All right, I say no place left because in Romans, uh, Paul said, From Jerusalem to Elycrium, I fully preached the gospel. There's no place left to preach the gospel. And we could have looked in Atlanta maybe 40, 50, 60 years ago, and we'd say, oh, yeah, you know, every corner there's a church. Well, now on every corner we have segments of society that won't come to the church. We have tongues that don't speak the language of the church. We have people who identify and don't feel like they fit into the church. So what are we going to do? That means every single one of them deserves the right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the point in time in Atlanta, there's no place left. No place left. All right, we have 1,600 groups in South Asia. The goal is no place left. Every single people group has the opportunity to hear the gospel, be discipled, have a church, and see the potential of their tribe, their tongue, their people, their segment of society hear the gospel fully. That ought to be the minimum, right? Is that the minimum? It ought to be the minimum, just the minimum. All right, so we're going to go make disciples of the nations, and then we are going to teach them to obey, not grow them in knowledge. We're going to teach them to obey, all right, because we have uh, a lot of folks in the U.S. have a lot of knowledge about Scripture. I'm one of those guys. I got two master's degrees. I got more. One of my sins is books. I probably got 20,000 volumes of books about Jesus. I'm afraid I haven't read most of them. I've read a lot of them, but I haven't read most of them. My problem is my knowledge base about God versus my obedience base, there's a huge disconnect. So my knowledge is here, my obedience is here. And, and, and what a, you know, somebody asked me the other day, Jeff, where do you get fed? Where, what, don't you need to know more? And I'm going, my problem is I know so much, I'm disobeying way too much. You know, man, what I need to do is start obeying what I know, and, and God will take care of this side as I grow in Him. Well, Philemon 1.6 says that as you grow, as you love, or as you gospel, or as you live out the gospel, you will grow in the knowledge of God, right? So he's saying, as I obey, if I'm obeying Jesus... So I'm going to start with the simple things. Love God, love my neighbor, make disciples. He says, he promises me I'll, I'll grow in the knowledge of God. Well, that's a different knowledge of God versus the knowledge of God I have. What if we could turn this upside down? What if the norm became 
new believers learned immediately to share their story, Jesus' story. They learned to obey scriptures. They learned to be a doer of the word. And I know some of you are going, well, man, that's, that sounds a little legalistic. Well, what if it was the commands of Jesus? What if we were talking about what Jesus commanded? And you say, ah, it still sounds a little legalistic. Where's the grace, man? You know, well, what about loving God and loving your neighbor? All right, that's a command of Jesus. Um, have you ever overdone it on that one? No, I hadn't. I actually, I usually fall a little short on that one. Um, what about your loving your neighbor? Y'all loved your neighbor too much? Man, that rascal just drove in my yard, you know, you know, and his kids are over here doing this, and that one just peed behind the bush, you know. We're, we're off on them, you know, all the kind of stuff they're doing. When have we ever loved our neighbor too much? Jesus said to forgive those who sin against you. Have you ever forgiven too much? My, my problem is on the commands, I actually just followed really short. You know, and, and so I, I would argue that the commands of Jesus, you cannot, unless we add rules to them, I don't know how you make them into legalism. Now, if I add rules, yes, you can make them legalistic. But if I just obey loving God, loving my neighbors, making disciples, forgiving sins, giving, loving loud, man, that's a sweet spot to live, isn't it? What if new believers were taught that? What if that became the norm in society? That would be an amazing thing. So we're going to go. We're going to make disciples. We're going to teach them. We're going to go to all places so there's no place left. And the goal being that we learn to obey the commands of Jesus. Well, that's, that's exactly what we did in South Asia. The exciting thing is we're starting to see some of that happen in the U.S., and so it's really exciting. And I'm just going to share a couple stories with you. These may not be workplace. I'm doing a little more for a little Jeff Fox-worthy humor. But um, some really cool things have happened in Booger Holler, North Carolina. Um, we were sitting... If you think about the Great Commission, there's three basic things you have to do to do the Great Commission. You need to know who to share with. You need to know what to say, the gospel. And you need to know how to make disciples. So you need this. So why don't Christians witness? Well, they don't know who to share with. They don't know the gospel. Um, and they don't know how to make disciples. And we're trying to reconnect evangelism and discipleship. So if we're just saying that's the three minimum things you'd have to know to obey the Great Commission. And then if they know them, maybe they'll do them. All right? Just maybe they'll do them. All right? So we're sitting in Bojangles. And we're training a group of Christians. And we're training them, and they've taught, been taught to share their story, Jesus' story. They're learning the basic commands of Jesus. This is really simple stuff. And they're going, dude, this is like really, you know, this is like, we did this in first grade, you know. And I'm going, dude, it's not about you. It's about them out there. It's about the folks out there who don't know Jesus. It's about those out there who don't know these stories. It's about them learning to obey. It's not about you. It's about them. And so we had to keep reminding ourselves, it's not about us, it's about them. And so we're going we're gonna to humble ourselves so that we can learn to be disciplers that make disciples and make disciples. All right? So we're working through this, and every week one of the other humbling things happens is we go up and go, Daniel, did you share the gospel last week? And Mark, did you share the gospel? And we'll go around the table and we're asking, hey, how did it go sharing the gospel? What went well? What didn't go well? And, and the first six weeks at Bojangles, man, everybody said no. I mean, it was just like, oh, please. I mean, six weeks in, not a person shared the gospel. 
Well, the guy I'm with, Neil Perry, pastor of a local church, he's like, um, he's getting frustrated. And he's a pretty, he's a, he's a youth minister, been a youth minister 22 years. And if you've been a youth minister 22 years, it's hard to be a normal pastor. I don't think it's possible in that case. You know what I mean. You know, so he, this guy's a party waiting to happen everywhere he goes. So there's not a serious bone in his Bible, on his, well, his Bible, in his body. And so he's sitting in there and he goes, about three, four, five, six people in, nobody shared the gospel. And he's, he's actually getting frustrated. And Phil is the sixth guy there. He's 64 years old. Phil uh, was his fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And he said, Phil, why aren't you sharing the gospel with lost people? And Phil said, time out, bro. He said, I thought when I became a Christian, the goal was I was supposed to stay away from lost people. So for 45 years, I've been avoiding them because that's what I thought a good Christian did. And so Neil about flipped his wig. He doesn't have any hair, but he couldn't flip his wig. But he, he's just like, and he, he said something brilliant. He said, he said, Phil, do you know anybody far from God? Phil said, yeah, I know people far from God. I don't know he lost people, but I know far from God people. Because in Booger Holler, Bubba walked the aisle when he's seven, and he's, you know, once saved, always saved, but he's lived like the devil for the last 40 years, you know. That's the norm of where I live in a lot of ways, and it's a norm of where you live in many places. And so, well, now we got a target, because we know who to share with. So we start having some targets of where we can go share the gospel. So everybody's making their list of who to share with. Everybody's confident to share their story. Everybody's confident to share Jesus' story. And they're working through this. So we're holding them accountable. Well, Neil trains uh, Larry. Larry trains Brian. And I'm the one who trained Neil. So the, the church comes to me says, Jeff, we got fourth generation disciples. I said, woohoo, let's see it, man. And so we, we grab our, our pen and paper and we start, we start going out. We got Jeff... And then Jeff, and he says, you know, Jeff trained Neil, and then Neil trained Larry, and then Larry trained Brian. I was like, woo, that's good, good stuff, man, good. I said, now, tell me about the people who came to Jesus. And then the head went down, and it's like, well, you know, we got to fourth generation, no? I said, no, no, this this is what we're already doing in church. We're swapping spit. We swap one member from this member to that place, this place. All we're doing, just we're just swapping it all around. I said, there's no change in the kingdom. Kingdom change comes when lost people are impacted and their lives are transformed and changed. So I said, man, Jeff, I want to celebrate what y'all are doing. This is good, but it's not the target. The target is we impact lostness. We've got to start reaching those folks far from God. Those folks are lost. Well, uh, Brian, he's got his list and he's praying for one of his friends named Mickey. And so he's been praying fervently for Mickey. And um, Mickey, he's sort of a normal guy who lives like in North Atlanta, maybe up towards Commerce, somewhere like that. Um, nobody like Atlanta lives like this. But um, anyhow, Mickey's sort of a normal redneck in Booger Holler, speaks redneckies. And um, he is an iron worker. So he's a welder, uh, works at the local factory, and high-end welder, great job, hard worker, but he's got this sort of thing, you know, he's into the pop and pain pills, 
drinking a lot of beer and partying pretty hard. But he's also into Bed Bath & Beyond Highs, which is this bath salts that was real popular here a while ago. So he's doing bath salts, and when you do bath salts, you hallucinate. So he's hallucinating that his wife is having an affair with uh, Steve Jobs. And so he's, he grabs her one night and said, you're going to your mom and dad, and you're going to confess your sin. And so he grabs her, throws her in the truck, and he's going to drive down to mom and dad, and she's going to sort all this out, you know. So they're going down the road. Well, you know, the good thing is in Booger Holler, um, we do have 911. So she called the popo. So she just called 911 and said, hey, come help me. You know, my, my husband's on a bed bath beyond high. And so the popo comes. They chase him down and end up running him off the, the road. Now, a good redneck would have, this is a particular people group in our area, a good redneck would have surrendered. But he didn't. He got up on top of the truck. He starts yelling, shouting at these guys, threatening them. And the popo pulls out a revolt, well, a 9mm and actually goes to shoot him. Uh, the gun wouldn't go off. And so he tried numerous times. He actually even tried to clip the safety. Gun still won't go off. Well, then Mickey, like a good redneck, jumps on top of the two guys. Um, he's winning the wrestling match. Thankfully, a few more police come. Mickey ends up in jail. He's coming down off the bed, bath, and beyond high. The policeman comes in and says, who was the one who pulled the, the, the gun, he had just gone to the range, pulled the gun out, and the gun went boom, 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 and all the shots fired. So he went and saw Mickey. He said, I don't know who's watching out for you, but you better take seriously that God saved you because you should be dead. Well, this, this rattled Mickey's cage. So he gets out off the bed, bath, and beyond high. He goes out. He goes to the cemetery to see a friend of his who's died. And he's talking to his friend. This guy's unchurched. Um, and he's going, man, what do I do? Do I commit suicide? What do I do with life? I don't know what to do anymore. Um, but there's this guy, Brian. Do I go see Brian and ask him? Well, who's praying for Mickey? Brian. So who, God's setting Brian up. Brian drives by in his truck right then. Mickey flags him down, hops in a pickup truck. Now, what's, so what's Brian do? Shares his story and Jesus' story with Mickey, right? He's been equipped. He's been trained to do it. So then they're driving past, and they go past, and they see the pastor uh, kneel down by the pond, and they swing down in by the pond, and they go down, and they see Neil. Now, what's Neil share with Mickey? Y'all catch on? Baptized. Yeah, I get baptized. He shares his story, Jesus' story. And then he tells this guy, he said, after he shares the gospel, and Mickey bows at the back of a Chevrolet truck, a very sacred moment, and prays to receive Christ. Um, Neil says, we're going to come to your house, and we want to bring a horse trough, and we want to baptize you at your house. Well, somehow Mickey didn't hear that right, maybe a little bed, bath, and beyond. And so he just starts taking out his wallet, knife, and all of his stuff, and he goes down in the water. What prevents me from being baptized now? And so he's down in the water. And so now Brian, you know, he pulls out his iPhone. The rednecks do have iPhones. And so he's, he's going to videotape um, Neil baptizing because Neil's the pastor. Neil goes, time out, bro. 
Now, you're called to make disciples. He said, I'm going to take the video and you baptize. Now, the one thing we did learn is youth pastors don't know how to run video on iPhone. So he was trying to take a video. He got a picture. But anyhow, we got a picture of Mickey being baptized by Brian. Now, this was a really, really dangerous moment because Brian's never baptized anybody's life. I mean, he could slip and fall. Somebody could be hurt. Um, They could drown. You know, this is dangerous. No training, no seminary training. Um, But they survived. Praise the Lord. They totally survived the, the moment moment, they come back up to the pickup truck, pull out a piece of paper, and they start Mickey teaching Mickey who to share with. Now, we, we talked about far from God. Who does Mickey know? Yeah, he actually knows lost people. You know, it's not even far from God. He knows lost people, right? So he starts making this long list of lost people, and then they immediately teach Mickey how to share his story and Jesus' story. We always teach people the gospel within 48 hours. That's what we did in South Asia. It's what we're doing in the U.S. Immediately equipped to share the gospel. Well, Mickey... You know, when you, those kind of things happen, you got a lot of free time because you don't usually get to keep your job after you make the nightly news. So he's going door to door, all right? And he's got his police thing. So just imagine a Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your door. Hey, let me tell you, I should be dead, you know? And so he's out sharing his story and Jesus' story door to door with all of his friends and neighbors. Um, really cool thing is on Wednesday night, they began meeting his house. About 25 people showed up. The next few weeks, about six people came to Christ in that home. Mickey and Neil and some others began to go out into other homes and start reaching Mickey's oikos, his friends, family, neighbors, his passion guys, which was really his party guys, and they're out reaching them, starting Bible studies in the homes of these folks far from God. Another guy far from God and runs into him named Clint. Clint just, it got a real pill for him because he runs into him and he's like, Clint had been... His life had been like this, 16 years of this. You know, try to walk with God, struggle, try to walk with God, struggle. You know, we can name, you you know somebody just like that. And he struggled. And he's watching Mickey and he said, wow, this is for real. Because the first day he met Mickey, Mickey was sharing the gospel. And he was blown away because he came up to Neil and he said, man, that guy's really mature. How long has he been a believer? Neil said, six weeks. He's led seven people to Christ. Last week, he led his daughter to Christ and baptized her this week. And Clint's like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. So we started equipping Clint through this process. He's getting equipped with uh, Mickey. And Clint begins sharing his story, Jesus' story. Mickey and them begin going out. 12, 12, 12. um, Short story. And it's a long story. Clint began leading people to Christ. He led about almost 30 people to Christ. I said, wow, man, that's awesome. That is so exciting. So we got, we got Mickey down here. And, you know, there, he has people coming to his house. And they're coming to Christ. And they're being baptized about seven. They're going out. They're starting groups in the homes of folks far from God. And then we got Clint. Now, Clint goes out. And he starts reaching out into homes. And he sees about 30 people come to Christ starting on 12, 12, 12. And so these really cool things are happening. Well, about six months later, I'm going, man, Clint, that is so awesome. Praise the Lord what God's doing. I said, but Clint, right now it looks like it's all you. You're doing all the gospeling. You're doing all the work. I said, you're 30 people who've come to Christ, I said, how many of them are sharing their story? How many of them are sharing Jesus' story? How many of them are obeying the Great Commission? 
And so Clint and I have spent some time and we try to retool some things and work on some things. And then in uh, February of this year, uh, Clint met a young lady um, named Abriella. And he shares uh, his story, Jesus' story with her, leads her to Christ, immediately equips her with the gospel, immediately equips her who to share with. In the first two weeks, she led eight people to Christ. And so it's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. So here she is. She's leading people to Christ. She leads eight the first week. Um, then the cool thing is, Clint is working on equipping Abriella to learn how to multiply her testimony, Jesus' story, how to make disciples, teaching a simple process, a simple content, how to study the Word, how to be self-feeding. And as this is happening, um, she ends up leading her cousin to Christ. And so her cousin um, comes to Christ, and she makes her list of who do you share with, what do you say, how do you make disciples. She's being equipped to do this. And then she and Abriella um, go out and they reach um, Stephen. And so Stephen is the fiancé of the cousin. I'm sorry, I forgot the cousin's name right now. And they lead him to Christ. Stephen then is equipped and learns how to share his story, Jesus' story. And they lead, and he leads um, his nephew, uh, David, to Christ. And... It's, this is all. This has all since been uh, about February, March. We've begun to see this really new growth there. That's really exciting. So now, if we start looking at that, and everybody's just learning who to share with, what to say, how to make disciples, and they're learning this T for T process. And they don't know they're doing T for T. By the way, we call it disciple cycle where we're at. You can call it reproducing disciples. But if we start looking at it from here. Our generational growth is zero. So no impact in the kingdom. All right? It was good. You know? But now, what do we got here? We got one. All right? So that's Mickey. What comes... And a lot of people came to Christ around Mickey's Oikos, by the way. A lot of folks came to Christ. Now Clint comes to Christ. So what do we got here? Two. All right? Abriella comes to Christ. And about 30 people come to Christ around him. Abriella comes to Christ. What do we got there? Three. All right? Her cousin comes to Christ. What do we got there? Four. All right. Then we got Stephen comes to Christ. We got five. And then we have six. Now listen, if if you were to go and say, hey, you know, these guys have, you know, look like seminarians. uh, Absolutely not. You know, but Abriella, these folks are sharing the gospel a lot. They're obeying what they know. They, yeah, are they still making mistakes? I can promise you they're still making mistakes. But they're obeying what they know. And that's the key. They're obeying the commands of Jesus they do know. We say, well, you know, that's, you know, that's Booger Holler, North Carolina. You know, Booger Holler is different than Atlanta. And, you know, it, it, that can happen in Booger Holler, but there's no way that would happen in Atlanta. That's impossible. You know? Well, here's a really cool thing. You know, five years ago, this is what we saw normally. Four years ago, we started to see some of this, some first generation. Uh, we had a period of time of fasting and prayer for about 40 days. And we were praying for God to let us see some generational growth. And we started to see some second generation growth. And, and, I've, and listen, I've trained and traveled crisscross the country, pray trained. 12,000 so people across the U.S. and T for T. I've failed at most of it. 
Um, I have failed forward. We are learning. We're, we're learning things little by little as we go. But God's doing some really cool things. Well, just recently, right now across the U.S., there's 43. So just picture this. There's 43 streams of this in the U.S. right now. You say, well, you know, but that's, that's still Booger Holler. No, it's not. It's Indianapolis in places like Fishers. It's at all the, a lot of the military bases. Some of the best mil- the growth in the U.S. is in the military bases where young men are coming to Christ and just being discipled and multiplying across the military bases. Young African-American males in Memphis have multiplied numerous times fourth generation and beyond in Memphis. And, and I can go on and on. Yeah, are there still places where we still need to do it? Yes, man, we're praying for the Muslim communities. We're praying for the Hindu communities. We're praying for the Buddhist communities. We're praying for the elite. But I can tell you the upper middle class in Austin, there's multiplication of disciples. I can tell you the Hispanics in Austin, there's multiplication of discipleship. It's, it's actually unfair to compare with them. They're just so over the top. But 43 different places. Chuck Wood... He has one stream, well, he has his network. They have 39 streams of third generation. So this is fourth generation. This is 39 streams of third generation. I have no idea in the U.S. how many third generation streams there are. There's becoming a number of them. Um, it's hitting all kinds of segments and chunks of society. Uh, Nepalis multiplying, Burmese and all, and the multiplying. But I just want to challenge you just to pray about possibly joining to the point we say no place left in Atlanta. I know this sounds a little different. It sounds, you know, and and you're drinking out of a fire hydrant while I'm throwing this out to you in October 10th, 11th. If you come, you'll be drinking out of a fire hydrant again. But we're going to keep coming and keeping coming and doing whatever we can to help here. But can can we agree, though, that every believer ought to be making disciples? That's a non-negotiable, right? So uh, uh, T for T is just one way of doing it. There's a lot of great ways to do it. But I've experienced this in South Asia, and what we've seen has been incredible. We've seen this move to China, India, Africa. Even now, I can't believe it, in Paris. I don't even like French fries, y'all. I mean, even in Paris, there's beginning to be multiplying disciples in Paris, Greece, Guys doing, and so it just blows me away to see what God's doing. I occasionally just pinch myself and go, Really? God's doing an amazing thing. Australia, they said it won't happen down here, and it's beginning to happen in Australia. So I just want to challenge you. I know this is a different way of thinking, but what if the norm became that we all thought about fourth generation disciples? It's the norm of what I want in and out of my children. I want grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I want to see my name carried on, you know, because I love my grandfather who gave me the name. And I want to see it carried on. But wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be cool if that was the norm of what we did for following Jesus? Can God do that? So I just want to challenge you to, one, Possibly take a look at coming, sitting through the training with us. But then I would challenge you to adopt a vision to say no place left in Atlanta. Every single community has the opportunity from somebody's mouth to their ear. It's a right. They deserve the right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power unto salvation. And it's not about my proclamation. It's about his message and who he is and what he's doing. And listen... The Holy Spirit is doing 
I don't think it's new. I think it's 2,000 years old. He's doing something he's always been doing, and he promised the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. The harvest in Atlanta, Georgia is plentiful. He promises it. Can we walk in the promise? So I'm going to turn it back over to Daniel, but man, I appreciate y'all bearing with my redneck stories, but thankfully it's happening in every segment of society now in the U.S. So praise the Lord. Well, I hope you enjoyed that 100th episode of the Movements Podcast. Now I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you found these podcasts helpful and would like to recommend them, why don't you send out an email or get on Facebook or Twitter and let people know. I'm Steve Addison and this has been the Movements Podcast. Podcast.